Purple, get ready to roll indeed. This is College and Kimball. I'm your host, Jeff Burkhart, coming to you from room 324 of the Homewood Suites in Seattle, Washington this week. Plenty of purple up in this part of the country and looking forward to getting back, though, to America's heartland and getting excited for the Sunflower Showdown. I am joined, as always, by Clint Wilson, Alex Speth, and Justin Nutter. Got a lot to dive into this week, guys. Cats, of course, picking up their second straight conference win, and we've got the Sunflower Showdown coming up on deck. Before we dive into all of that, as we always request of our wonderful listeners, if you haven't had a chance to already, please subscribe, follow, do podcast things on whatever your preferred app is. Uh, we do ha- we have gotten a handful of reviews on the Apple side. Uh, we have one one star. Somebody took the time to give us a one star, but didn't give us any explanation why. So uh, whoever you are, sir or ma'am, square up, come at me. Uh, now, <laughs> if you haven't, and additionally, if you haven't followed us on Twitter, it's college underscore Kimball. You can also find all of our individual Twitter handles linked out on that page. So gentlemen, water starting to calm down, schedule starting to soften up. Everybody was losing their shit because of the home lost Iowa State, which I understand for some that might seem like a birthright, but I know at the end of the day, that series has been very tightly contested over the last several years, and K-State was very fortunate to pick up a couple wins in that series. Uh, but in any event, the Iowa State game is very much in the rear view. K-State has collected two much-needed Big 12 victories, uh, has also resulted in two coaches getting pink slips uh, for those respective institutions. But uh, we'll get to that here momentarily. Most recently, K-State disposed of TCU the final 31 to 12 this past Saturday in Manhattan, another gorgeous game day at Bill Snyder family stadium and K-State really took control of this one early. It was nice to see the offense come right out, go right down the field, get the opening touchdown drive equally as impressive. The defense is showing on those first few series, uh, turning TCU away, forcing punts, I know we normally do start off on the offensive side of the ball, but again, very much the same way we did with Texas Tech last week. I think we owe it to ourselves to start off talking about defense and guys, I think the headliner is pretty well known at this point, Felix and UDK Uzama and his unbelievable inhuman effort collecting four sacks by the NCAA's uh, mark uh, six sacks by every other human who watches football, Uh, just an unreal performance from him. And uh, I'll admit it was somewhat disheartening again to see him have those two taken away. And I I just got to ask, what what was your guys' reaction to the NCAA's explanation as to why they took them away? I had never heard of that rule. I think it's so damn stupid. The guy had six sacks. I mean, he had one of the most incredible games I have ever seen in my life. I don't know how you could take that away from him with the stupidest rule that I'm sure has. I'm sure there's a lot of sacks out there in the record books that haven't been judged under the same microscope as a possible NCAA record. So they've been counted, even though they probably had the exact same thing happen. It's uh, it really sucks, but 
you know, even if you're only looking at it at four sacks, it was an amazing game. But I'm looking at it at six sacks, and the guy's a one-man wrecking crew. And for those who don't or haven't read the explanation, the reason was the two of the sacks that were taken away were removed from his total because the ball was fumbled forward. Those were strip sacks. But since the ball went forward, it apparently does not qualify as a sack, which, again, if you're tackled behind the line of scrimmage, but the ball gets coughed up and moves forward, you as the defensive player obviously have no control over that. You've generated a havoc play on multiple fronts, and to have that not count is, again, frankly, it's bullshit. It's bullshit. Nutter, Speth, I'll let you guys weigh in on that too because I'm sure you both have thoughts. Yeah, I guess uh, the, the the takeaway here is if you're if you're going to bring the quarterback down, just make sure he holds on to the ball. You know, I don't know what Felix was thinking, but uh, no, honestly, to penalize him for jarring the ball loose is about as weak as it gets. I'm right there with you, Clint. I mean, I think anyone with a brain is going to know this was a six-sack performance. Yeah, it seems to me like <clears throat> somewhere along the line there was just laziness and deciding – you know, oh, hey, the ball went past line of scrimmage when they recovered it. So that's, you know, technically where the fumble occurred. That's basically what it's saying is no matter where you fumbled the ball, wherever the defense gains control, that's where it goes in the record book as a fumble recovered there. So, it, you know, if you didn't see the game, you would think, you know, that's where the guy fumbled the ball. You know, they could just have a sack or a, a stat category of, you know, yards lost during a loose ball or something like that, or yards gained during a loose ball. Like, it's not that hard. It's just, you know, way back in the day, that's what they figured out they wanted to do for for fumble recoveries. You know, because if, if, he, if he lost the ball and the ball went 15 yards back and we got it there, that would have counted as, you know, negative, you know, however, behind the line of scrimmage, it would have counted as, a negative 20 yard run or whatever for the, for the running back the quarterback or whatever. So it's like, maybe there should be a stat of where the fumble occurred versus where it was picked up. Like that's, it feels like a technicality, an error that is easily fixed that no one ever gives it. Just no one's cared to fix it over the years. And if that, if those fumbles were recovered by the offense and they actually gained yards, I could, kind of see that argument but that's not the case k-state came up with the ball both times and especially if, on the uh in the stat book the possession is gained by k-state past the line of scrimmage so that's why it counts as forward yards and then a fumble from the offense i i get their reasoning but i'm just saying it would make sense to me if they actually recovered the ball right and it, it was beneficial to them I mean, especially that uh, that first one, it was on fourth down, so nobody could have even recovered it except for the quarterback. Exactly. And it was a touchback, so K-State <clears throat> gained yardage themselves on that play. Yeah, the first one would have remained a sack if TU recovered it for all weirdness of the situation because then it would have been brought back to the point of the fumble, mm. which is which would have kept it a sack. So, Well, damn it, Daniel Green. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lack yeah. of field awareness. I, I would love to know. Like, didn't oh, think it through when they were deciding. You know, how do we count? How do we count yards after a fumble? Oh, just wherever the defense picks it up, 
that's where the offense, you know, that's whatever. And it just, it's dumb. They could probably get, fix that rule right now and no one would give a shit and it would give Felix two of his sacks back. I would love to know what Mark Emmert crony, he's probably named Ned, looked at the play and looked at these types of plays and said, yes, this is something that needs to be rectified in a way that, like I, I just don't know like how how petty and, and like you were just literally scraping the bottom of the barrel for things to like again a totally superfluous rule change like Clint said there there have been hundreds and thousands of sacks that have not been scrutinized this way but it, it's just timing you know as they say with everything timing is everything you know it's it just sucks for king felix but at the end of the day it it does not greatly greatly diminish an otherwise otherworldly performance by him tying chris johnson's record that was set in the 2000 missouri game in columbia uh, the pride bowl i happened to actually have attended that one in columbia chris johnson had four sacks in that contest so king felix in in good company with one of k-state's better defensive ends king felix also now getting ready to move into the top 10 in school history just in this first season of action for him great great things ahead for that young man we certainly hope he stays in manhattan for all four years but if we get three out of him i'm fine getting three out of him <laughs> he, he's been awesome now i do have to commend the rest of the defense uh, again it's been great to see the heel turn uh, over these past two weeks this past week in particular limiting one of the better receivers in the big 12 and quentin johnston the way that they did now granted zach evans was on the shelf for tcu but at the end of the day, they still possessed a fairly dynamic backup as well. Max Duggan, still a very capable runner. But I think K-State's defense was was more than suffocating just the way that they shut down the Frogs uh, in, in this contest. And I guess kind of a broader question for, for you guys. This really seemed like the first time in Big 12 play that they were really just locked in from the jump. Do you, did you guys see it another way uh, in any of these other Big 12 games? No, I mean, I, I went back and rewatched the game, and I kind of wondered, is the whole defense playing this great, or is it mainly just, you know, King Felix just absolutely controlling every aspect of this game? Um, you know, you want to give credit to everybody, and I'm sure, I do believe that the defense played a great game, but just everyone – you know, look so much better when your quarterback is being terrorized all game long like that. I think one thing, uh, yes, Felix absolutely, you know, destroyed this game beginning to end. But like one thing that's really encouraging to me is a lot of times when we had a guy, you know, blow up a play in the black backfield or whatever, there were two or three other guys there to also make the play if for whatever reason the ball carrier got away. Like those are things we hadn't seen really since probably the Nevada game. So I mean, I do think that, yes, maybe they're feeding off Felix, but everybody really seemed to kind of kick it up a notch last week. Yeah, I just agree with that. You know, you got the Felix factor, but also what the team did so well early in the year, uh, swarming and not missing tackles, they were not doing that the first few games of Big 12 play, and they kind of got back to that, which is, um, you know, what you need from a defense that might be a little bit undermanned and under talented is, is you need that, uh, that 
that veracity of the defense and you need to have some sound tackling and they kind of got back to that you know there was there were several plays made out in space where you know they they made some good plays and kind of remind you of the first few games of the year and definitely good progress I'll just say this uh a few weeks ago, the way things were going, I never thought that after the TCU game, my biggest complaint would be giving up a garbage-time touchdown to let them score more than five points. I don't know why those really stick with me for some reason. It's totally yeah. meaningless. And we still covered the, the number in this game was only three points, so we still covered the line with ease. But I don't know. There was just something about keeping the, And also for the defense, too, you want to keep teams out of the end zone when you have a chance to do that and they had that opportunity but they pretty well carved them up in the final you know 90 seconds of the game but at the not really worth sweating this obviously as far as how this game played out 17 havoc plays for k-state's defense on 69 total snaps they limit tcu to just 4.9 yards per play and again this was a tcu offense that came in Top half, in some cases, top two or three in a lot of the major statistical categories. Uh, but K-State, again, pretty well sat on the frogs from the jump. Also, another thing that we really haven't seen out of this defense, too, uh, bowing up big in the red zone. And this was a TCU offense that had cashed in on all of its red zone attempts going into this game. K-State turned them away twice uh, uh, in at very crucial junctures of the game. And I know the one that came later uh, in the in third quarter was probably the most pivotal point. And at least at, at that stage in the game, that was one where you really felt like the pendulum could have swung and TCU might have gained a little bit of momentum and felt like they could get back into this and make this competitive. But K-State slammed the door shut there. And again, we ta- we touched on it. That was one of Felix's aforementioned sack, not sacks. Uh, that K-State ultimately ended up getting a turnover on and taking possession over again. But uh, love to see all the improvements. Guys just seem like they're they're playing faster. Hopefully that element, the, the, the thinking element, we're not so focused in on that anymore where the guys are. And, and perhaps that's, that's another thing. Uh, this might just be this defense having settled into this s- system now, knowing assignments, and being feel like uh, being in a position now where they don't feel like they have to think nearly as much about where do I need to line up, how do I need to rotate, you know, pre-snap, whatever the case might be. I just feel like they've settled in in a way that they they weren't quite locked in on at the early stage of the season. That's just my two cents on it. But I think they're going to continue to obviously play faster, and, and this upcoming opponent should obviously give you a terrific opportunity to really flex your muscles and gain even more confidence going into this uh, final quarter of the season. We'll obviously touch on the KU game coming up here momentarily, but uh, any other notes uh, that you guys wanted to touch on in terms of defensive effort that we saw from K-State this past Saturday? I think uh, Julius Brents is really starting to come along. You know, he really struggled in the first half of the year. We were all kind of underwhelmed with him, but he's, starting to play like the player we were hoping he would. Really, really and, nice. The only thing I would add is really nice to see Daniel Green start to look like he did, you know, when he was just completely controlling the Stanford game. I mean, that play where he shot the gap and uh, turned them away to hold TCU to a field goal on their first drive, that was as good a play as he's made in conference play. Mm-hmm. When Daniel Green's playing good, the whole defense is playing good. Yeah. 
And also uh, another one of those transfers who has really come on here in recent weeks, Russ Yeast, uh, second in the conferences and passes defense, had a couple breakups this past Saturday. Uh, again, I know the inclination of every fan is that if we don't see immediate results, if we're not correcting, you know, mistakes one series after they're identified, nobody's working towards any long-term objectives. Nobody's taking any corrective action. We need to fire assistant coaches. I, I know that's how every fan wants to react and handle this, but I think Klanderman's defense is acquitted itself quite nicely here in these last two weeks. And again, I know Tech and TCU might not be offensive juggernauts, but they're also not nearly as inept as the opponent that K-State's going to see this coming Saturday. So I, I think you do need to give credit to them for, for rallying after a, a porous start to conference play. There's no way around it. But in the same breath, they've gotten some breaks, too, in these last couple of weeks. But I also think they've forced their own breaks and generating a couple of turnovers, generating all the havoc plays that they have. Uh, it, it's, it's one of those things where, again, I think you just have to really commend uh, these guys for for just sticking with it, staying the course, and hopefully, again, as we said, good things will continue to come for this K-State defense as we get ready to close out this 2021 season. Now, let's shift and talk about the offense. First thing I, I want to ask you guys, how did you feel about Scowler's performance this past Saturday? The, the 242 looks nice. The, the 18 yards per completion looks nice. I just don't, some of those throws though, you, you were just a little, little frustrated with them. I, I, that was how I came away feeling. What were, what were your guys' thoughts on that? Skyler's never going to be perfect. That's just not the kind of quarterback he is, but he's still doing the little things that he hasn't done throughout his entire career that were the things that I was looking for him to do. He's stepping up into the pocket. He's trusting his offensive line. Uh, he's looking at more than just one receiver. Um, so overall, I was happy with his performance. Yeah, um, obviously the deep ball is just not his game. You know, I think every deep ball he threw was underthrown. One time it resulted in an interception. Another time it resulted in uh, what should have been a walk-in touchdown. Brooks kind of had to camp under a ball, which led the defender to catch up. Um, all that to be said, I mean, he has really made a killing this year in the short to intermediate stuff. And uh He's just become so much better in the pocket in general since the beginning of the year. And uh, if this is kind of what we get out of him week in and week out, I think it'd be pretty hard to complain overall. Yeah, to me, I think the positives are decision-making and staying in the pocket. Obviously, you know, kind of with the knee injury, he's been doing that a lot better. Uh, <clears throat> so I think he's making the right decisions, whereas previously we would all complain that, you know, he's not finding the open guy. Or, you know, his first read's um, first read is is not open, so then he just takes off and runs. So I, I'm happy with the decision-making, throwing to open dudes, getting through his reads. Uh, his passes this game weren't as sharp as you would want them to be, you know, but they're still being completed and gaining yards and moving the chains, which is, you know, what you want. Yeah, some of the, play, some of the passes he needs to the deep balls – you know, lead his guy a little bit better or just throw it a little sooner. Um, that interception, I don't even know what was going on there. Like, he obviously threw the ball late. I don't know if 
if uh, a matter baby would have been open if he threw it earlier, but it was just, a, you know, it was a bad, bad decision on a late throw that, you know, turned into a turnover. But uh, outside of a couple of throws where he'd probably like to have him back, still very effective in the passing game, um, which is definitely necessary because our running game has not been quite as good as we want it to be. And Skyler, to your guys' larger point again, I think the decision-making that he brings to the table has been reasonably sharp, he, and he's hitting over 70% of his throws since returning uh, to the to starting position here. Seven touchdowns to only two interceptions. Like he, he, He's been solid since he's come back, and we got uh, the most graceful touchdown run of his career uh, to open things up for that K-State offense on that opening possession. He looked... He looked a little ginger, obviously running the ball. He had a bigger scramble a little bit later on in the game, but that was also in the in the same breath. It's good to see. I think he's feeling increasingly more comfortable running the ball, and I think he knows when to push it, when not to push it, and, and hopefully, again, this upcoming week, we don't have to really rely on that element of the offense uh, against KU. We'll obviously dive into that a little bit later on, but... Um, Skyler again, 13 of 21 for 242, as I mentioned, almost 19 yards per completion. Uh, hit a lot of big chunk plays in that in this contest. And I think this is what really defined the offensive performance uh, for K-State this past Saturday. You have the big 73-yard touchdown reception uh, by Amater Bebe to open things up in the fourth quarter. Uh, but prior to that, Deuce Vaughn had the 42-yard catch on the opening drive to set up Skyler's aforementioned stumble-in touchdown. Uh, we had uh, Deuce Vaughn on the fourth down and one, ripping off the 41-yard touchdown. We had Sky's 26-yard scramble. Brooks had a almost was robbed of a touchdown reception. Again, Alex, you just mentioned it, throwing the deep ball, the placement on those. You know, at this point, you just have to kind of concede that Skyler is going to be one of those guys who doesn't necessarily like to throw his guys open. I feel like he's much more the, I need to throw this to a place type of a quarterback, but it still results in a touchdown. Uh, So it it was nice to see the offense generate some explosive plays. Again, the 11.5 yards per attempt, the highest uh, of the season for Skyler. I do want to pivot here and touch on the, the rushing attack. Admittedly, with as bad as TC was at defending the run coming into this contest, I was a little disheartened by just the 4.3 yards per carry, especially when you consider that you got a big chunk of that. You got, you know, almost uh, 30% of that on Deuce Vaughn's 41-yard touchdown run. K-State really just did not have a lot of success uh, or at least sustained success running the football. what would you guys attribute it to at this stage of the season? Uh, well, I mean, obviously the offensive line isn't dominating. Uh, they're they're just kind of being average right now and, you know, getting you three, four, maybe five yards, but just kind of averaging right around that four-yard mark. Um, I think the defenses are still loading the box. I think they're still terrified of Deuce. Um, but uh, the offensive line – needs to play a little bit better in my opinion. Not really much <laughs> to add to that. I'll be honest. I mean, that pretty well hit the nail on the head though. I will say, you know, we've K state's got a couple, a couple opponents left that are 
statistically some pretty putrid run defenses. So like, there's definitely still time to get this ship righted. The one they the one they'll see Saturday is one of the worst in the country and probably the worst they've seen in the climate era. So opportunity is still there. Yeah, to me, it's like Clint said, the defenses are still, um, you know, kind of just begging us to throw the ball, which I do like that they have been willing to throw the ball with uh, the defensive looks they've been getting because the, the our running game hasn't been as what we want it to be the last few games. Um, so as long as they're willing to take what the defense is giving them, if they're going to let us throw the ball around, then we'll I'll take it. But at the same time, you know, they still got to try to to open up some more holes on the inside run game uh, or just be a little bit more creative of getting some runs out in space um, and getting some better blocking out there as well. I feel like the run game when it goes outside is, is usually pretty good. Um, so, yeah, just take what the defense gives you. For the most part, if, if they're making us throw the ball, then that's what we got to do. But you still can't abandon the run completely, and it definitely needs to get better. We did see Deuce Vaughn go over 100 yards rushing in this one. So good thing. First time he's been over 100 in a Big 12 game this season. Now, granted, he had 99 against Iowa State, but we're all about technicalities here on this podcast, by God. So. Uh, Deuce Vaughn's first 100-yard rushing effort versus a Big 12 opponent going back to the game against Texas last season when K-State got run out off the field in that 69-31 blowout. So Deuce Vaughn uh, had 109 yards on the ground. We talked about Skylar Thompson had that big scramble uh, early on in the second quarter. Uh, Jacardier Wright got a fair amount of carries, uh, got seven totes, only produced 19 yards, though. But uh, Alex, I know we have to be thrilled that your boy finally got a couple of touches here, but I will say good for him from a, a confidence standpoint. And I, I'm sure, again, there's nobody who feels worse about that fumble in the Oklahoma game than he does. And that that obviously looms so large in, in defining that game and how that one ultimately ended up playing out. But hopefully our boy will continue to build off of that effort. Joe Irvin was on the shelf for this one with an illness. Uh, all indications are that he will be available this coming Saturday against Kansas. So good things ahead for this K-State offense. Again, just another solid effort. They outgained TCU on a per-play basis, 7.1 to 4.9 in this past contest against TCU. So again, just another very solid, respectable outing from this offense. And we'll move next to special teams here to kind of put a bow on things. Before I do this, I do have to drop a little bit of a story here. My father-in-law had texted me the night before the game and had mentioned that he had just he had been out on a walk on a trail uh, uh, and had run into the parents of Chris Tennant. And said parents said that Chris Tennant was going to start against TCU, and he just relayed this back to me and there was one of those things where I was just kind of surprised because I I didn't know of any injuries to Tate and Winkle didn't know of any plan to roll him out there uh lo and behold Tate and Winkle on the shelf against TCU Chris Tennant comes out and looks terrific uh knocks in all four of his point after tries uh I gotta ask you guys were you surprised that we kicked the field goal with like Again, a minute left in the game, leading 28-5. to 
Um, not really. I mean, give the guy a chance. True yeah. freshman out there for his first start. Yeah, I was going to say that's about as low pressure situation for a freshman kicker as you could hope for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was about 25% sure that Jeff was lying about the whole uh, Chris Tennant thing because him and I are battling it out for first place in our fantasy <laughs> league. I've got Tate and Winkle on my uh, team. I thought he was looking for any advantage, me subbing out the starting kicker there. So, I, <laughs> yeah, I left him in the starting lineup and didn't take his advice on that one. I would never lie to you, Clint, for the love of God. We should have built up a little bit of trust here. You know, how many shows have we done now? Almost 30? Come on now. Uh, no, again, that, it took me by surprise, probably as it did just about every K-State fan in attendance. But uh, again, he was one of the most highly touted kickers coming out of last year's high school class. And his his attempt on that 42-yarder, it was about as pure as you could have asked for. Just put it through, as you said, Nutter. Great, great opportunity. Just again, we've talked so much kind of the refrain of this show has been building confidence building off of past performances and getting guys to feel better about themselves as we move into the latter stages of the season here i think he has to feel pretty good about himself after knocking that one through i I, i'll just the reason i asked that question earlier though usually when you're at that point you're leading by more than three touchdowns and you got a fourth down and whatever it was I, i admittedly haven't gone back and looked at the distance you tend to see most coaches just say, okay, we're going to go for it. And if we get it, we're going to kill the clock. If we don't get it, you guys get the ball on the nine yard line or whatever. And I was, like I said, just a little surprising for me to see it. But at the end of the day, glad we were able to knock that one through and push the point total up to uh, 31 there. So solid effort from Chris Tennant, his first outing as a Wildcat. Ty Zentner continues to do Ty Zentner things. Uh, averaged uh, 42 yards per punt, had one go over 50, uh, only had three punt attempts in this game. Obviously, that's a good thing. You're only sending them out there a handful of times. K-State's offense, again, was was very solid in this uh, contest. As we said, Wildcats moving to 5-3 and three overall with the 31-12 to 12 win, 2-3 and three in Big 12 play. Any other uh, notes, uh, or excuse me, I know, actually, I know we want to get to a, a one fairly big question that came up uh, in this contest in the third quarter. We had the, uh, the fracas after Skyler got popped on a, uh, on an unsportsmanlike hit going towards that TCU sideline. Tyrone Hal ultimately ends up getting the boot. What did you guys think of the reaction by the T just by all parties in, in the moment there? And also your thoughts just on how the penalty situation played out. Um, We knew TCU was not on solid footing coming into the game. I mean, there was obviously, you know, there was drama with Zach Evans. We knew, uh, you know, Gary Patterson had been receiving some less than favorable results from the fan base over the last several weeks. Like it definitely... Not at all shocking to me. It looked like a coach that was starting to lose his team, and I think it just kind of hit a boiling point at that point. Sucks that it's, you know, on their bench, cheap shot on our quarterback. Um, But to answer your question, I think it's garbage that they have two guys uh, uh, tossed for throwing punches on top of the fact that they hit our quarterback late out of bounds. We have one guy retaliate. Everything offsets and the down counts. That makes absolutely no sense to me and honestly kind of seems like an oversight in the rule book. Alex, I think you said it off air. It 
you'd think at bare minimum the the uh, penalty that incited everything should at least stand, and we're talking about 15 yards. But all that to be said, yeah, it uh, obviously a pretty terrible look for TCU, and it definitely looked like a team that had just kind of kind of mentally broke at that point. I will say, watching football my whole life, I've never really understood offsetting penalties when the yardage of penal- the penalties aren't the same. That's, you know, I could be offside on a play for five yards, and then the other guy rips my f- helmet off for a 15-yard face mask, and they both offset. That's never made sense to me, but I get it. One penalty to one. But anytime there's, like, multiple penalties on one team and then one penalty on the other team... I, I just don't understand how that sort of stuff offsets, uh, especially in this situation where <clears throat> the late hit out of bounds is still kind of part of the football play. You know, it's late because he was out of bounds for, a, you know, a split second, um, but it's still a part of the play. And then the other three penalties were all way after the play, like in a fight situation. Uh, the other thing I'll say is I I won't, there's no good, views of the actual fight so it's really hard to tell like who started it and whatever but you know that's a tough spot to be when you're Tyrone Howell when you have like the entire TCU team over there and someone wants to start some stuff it's like you know that's that's kind of a tough spot to be in so you don't really blame a guy for trying to like defend himself or defend his teammate in that situation um so yeah Kind of, kind of hard to tell the whole instigation of it and who's at fault for starting the fight. But when you know the entire team jumps on you, then you kind of got to give that guy a little bit of grace in the uh, in the aftermath. Yeah, I mean there there wasn't anything super heinous about the hit to Skyler. It wasn't any worse than the hit that Russ Yeast had earlier in the game, other than the fact that it wasn't on a quarterback. But I was still happy that, uh, you know, the K-State players went out and defended their quarterback and in a way that didn't get 10 people tossed out of the game. I think uh, the coaching staff and uh, especially Desmond Purnell, the true freshman, did a good job of keeping the K-State players back to keep it from turning into an all-out brawl. Uh, Tyrone Howell had an apology on Twitter afterwards. It was nice to see all the K-State fans come out and support him and tell him that they had his back. You love to see the passion, and, and again, he's only been with the program now for a few months, so definitely helped build a little bit of equity amongst the team, and and I, I'd have a hard time imagining that he hasn't done that, but again, when you when you go to bat for your guys like that, it, it'll resonate, and I think that was a good move on his part, and again, it sucks that K-State did have to lose him for the remainder of the game, but at the end of the day, it doesn't end up really mattering in the grand scheme of this one. Uh, one final quickie here before we move forward. Uh, if you guys had to rewatch the third quarter or stick a catheter up your urethra, what would you rather do? Oh, gosh, I'd probably choose a third quarter if I'm, those are my two options. Not, not a snicker here for the love of God. I'm giving you gold. <laughs> Is a numbing agent available available in either case? <laughs> How? What gauge of catheter are we talking here? Well, now you're getting technical here. With Leave your medical jargon out of this nerd. <laughs> a five French or a six, an eight French, perhaps. Alex, what you do in your personal life is none of our business, man. <laughs> All right, I'll keep that in the bedroom. Um, yeah, third quarter, just awful, awful, awful. Uh time 
Yeah, it it's like, literally the first play of the fourth quarter. We score a 70-yard touchdown. <laughs> yeah. I it's, might be jumping ahead here. The game and said the third quarter has a force field around it. <laughs> I might be jumping ahead here, but here's my fearless prediction for KU. A-State scores two touchdowns in the third quarter. Blows oh, everyone's minds. I will take the under on that. Uh, but but I hope I certainly hope you're right, man. I, I I know I said it on Twitter, but like Messingham has to be doing this as a bit at this point. Like I just you you just can't not find success, especially after they moved the ball as effectively as they did. And, and I again I I'm trying not to sweat the small stuff here, but K State did have an opportunity to really strangle TCU and put them out of their misery and stretch that lead. They did not do that, but one, one thing about the third, uh, and I could be misremembering this were the back-to-back timeouts in the third quarter. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I was, uh, I was looking for bill on the sideline at that point. I was <laughs> maybe looking for cord boy down there somewhere. <laughs> we can't run QB power again. Um, yeah. It just, I don't know whatever whatever it is, and I, I just I don't feel like we're getting some absurd level of adjustment or different looks that from the opposition here. Uh, I'm just going to take a deep breath. I'm going to exhale here, and we're going to move forward. I just wanted to see about the uh, the response there to the catheter question. So thank you guys for your input. Uh, we might have to put that out to the rest of our uh, loyal listening base to see what they would rather do. That so, sounds like a Twitter poll for sure. <laughs> that, that is a Twitter poll right there, by God. You know, it's uh, old. We're getting old. If we have that catheter, we don't have to get up three times in the middle of the night to go take a piss. So <laughs> there is some upside. The show is officially off the rails. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, let's let's bring it back home here. But taste uh, it. Damn it. Let me. T- <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, you started this. I know I did. I know I did. But. K-State, again, big winners at home, 31-12, to again, the final. Uh, one other superlative note, Skyler did move into uh, second all-time in uh, passing yards in school history with his efforts. Still has quite a ways to go if he wants to catch our boy Josh Freeman. I don't know if he'll be able to accomplish that feat before the end of the season. He would have to put up a couple of 400-yard games in the, in the final few contests here. But in any Seventh event, year, coming back. <laughs> medical redshirt uh but in any event a a great effort uh from Skyler again just what we've seen from him coming down the the home stretch of his sixth and probably final year at k-state uh has been solid so nice nice effort from him and as we get ready to close out his career now let's touch on uh the big 12 games from this past week we'll start off with the not so obvious. Uh, Oklahoma hammering Texas Tech. Everybody kind of saw this one coming after Matt Wells got the pink slip. Uh, Caleb Williams, whew, man, I'm, I'm feeling more and more by the day here that K-State lucked out and is facing Spencer Rattler. Uh, Caleb throws for 402, six touchdowns in the Sooners' 52-21 to win over Tech. Uh, Oklahoma plus three in the turnover margin. They outgain Tech 451 to 373. 10th straight win for OU in this series. The Sooners 9 and 0 on the year but were 8th in the uh, in the initial college football playoff rankings. Uh quite frankly, I don't really care enough about those and it's the first batch, so there's really no sense in getting worked up. I'm always kind of amazed at 
the reaction that we see from Twitter when the first round of rankings come out. But in any event, Oklahoma, big winners against Tech at home this past Saturday. The one that was surprising to some, Iowa State was laying about a touchdown or seven and a half, depending on when you grabbed it. But they were decided favorites to go in and pick up a win in Morgantown over West Virginia. But Neil Brown would have nothing of it the ears 14 to nothing in the final frame to upset the 22nd ranked Iowa State Cyclones. And WVU, don't look now, but they're starting to put some things together here. They rack up 492 yards of offense. Again, that coming against one of the better defenses in this conference. Uh, Jared Dagey throws for 370 and three touchdowns. Outduels Brock Purdy in this one. Letty Brown rushed for 109. Uh, the ears with a 28 to 16 advantage in the first down department and had over 34 minutes of possession time. Like you look up and down this one, it was honestly kind of surprising that Iowa state was leading uh, going into that final frame. But in any event, the, the cyclones with another heartbreaker here <laughs> as they fall 38 to 31 to West Virginia elsewhere in the big 12 Baylor, moving to 7-1 and one on the season. A great job by Dave Aranda down in Waco. Uh, his 12th, now 12th-ranked Baylor Bears, winners over Texas, 31-24. to 24. Texas snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, blowing a double-digit lead yet again. This is their third straight loss in conference play. They were leading 21-10 to 10 midway through the third. They had a lot of opportunities to, to stretch this one early on. They had three turnovers in plus territory. Um, just a lot of missteps by this Texas squad. I know Steve Sarkeesian was kind of the darling through the first few games, and then Arkansas dropped a train on him, and they've really just not recovered, I think, to the level that a lot of people expected them to. Uh, Abram Smith outduels Bijan Robinson in this one. He rushed for 145 to Bijan's 43 yards. So kudos again can't say much else about Baylor I don't think anybody expected them to bounce back from that season they had a year ago the way that they have their 12th in the initial college football playoff rankings and they picked up a big win over Texas who had previously won the previous the five uh, out of the last six meetings before uh, last Saturday's decision so nice win from the Baylor Bears and then to wrap things up for the week that was in the Big 12, Oklahoma State 55, the Kansas Jayhawks coming off of that nice effort against the Sooners only managed to put up three in this one. It was 38 to nothing at halftime. Oklahoma State outgained them by four yards on a per play basis, 6.8 to 2.8. Uh, whenever you have two quarterbacks that throw for two touchdowns, you're usually doing some good things. Oklahoma State, you look up and down the, the box score in this one, just amazing how Thoroughly, they dominated in the contest. KU's uh, starting quarterback, Jason Bean, went three for 10 for 10 yards and two picks. That's a QBR of 0.7 for those of you scoring at home. Mike Gundy picks up his 12th straight win over Kansas. The Pokes now 7-1 and one on the season. They checked in at 11th in those initial college football playoff rankings. Uh, before we move forward into this week's preview, guys, uh, any thoughts from the results in the Big 12 this past Saturday? I'm going to mention before, but uh, not that this lost Iowa State the game, but there was a few calls. They got absolutely screwed on. Like, <laughs> West Virginia had a touchdown where the guy never touched the ground, and they reviewed it, and 
like you could tell his feet never touched the ground, but it, they just didn't have a definitive angle on it, so the touchdown stood. And I'm just like, that sucks. And then that fumble at the end, probably not a fumble, but again, there was no, there was really no good uh, clear view that that they could overturn it. Um, so yeah, I know Iowa State. We give them shit for complaining about the refs all the time, but. They, they got screwed a little bit, but I didn't watch the whole game. And some Iowa State fans on some message board that was linked, um, you know, they said they got the benefit of a couple of bad pass interference calls. So also West Virginia's Seth Dagey threw a really awful pick six in the first uh, in the to start the second half in that game as well. So who knows? But yeah, some some pretty bad calls, especially against Iowa State's, but they should they should be used to it by now. I uh, I figured, talking about the game down in Stillwater, I figured, you know, KU coming off, you know, absolutely taking Oklahoma to, 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 to the wire, I figured that would go one of two ways. Either they would come out, you know, with their hair on fire again and uh, maybe stay competitive. I don't think I would ever, you know, call them winning a game against a, a ranked Oklahoma State team on the road. But I knew I honestly figured they would either keep it competitive for four quarters or just fold like a chair. Obviously, we all saw what happened. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, credit to Leipold. It seems like they put their biggest swing into that OU game. But yeah, kind of, kind of right back to the, right back to the gutter for KU. Yeah, they definitely blew their load against OU. <laughs> that is, uh, that's one way to frame it. Uh, they, um, man. I thought them covering 30 and a half against an Oklahoma State offense that really hasn't been super explosive in any Big 12 game this season uh, outside of that 32-point effort against Texas, in which they had a lot of turnover luck in that game. Like, they, the Oklahoma State just really hadn't produced a whole lot of points. And to see them drop 38 on them in a half was, I mean, that has to be pretty disheartening, obviously, for the Hawks. But uh, that's not something I'm too bothered by, admittedly. And uh, and not not all that surprised that that OU game, I think, is, is a whole lot of smoke and mirrors. KU really just managed to play keep away in the first half, which is why Oklahoma was blanked at halftime. You know, you have two possessions. One of them is an interception. All of a sudden, like, again, credit to KU for executing the way that they did in that first half against the Sooners. But obviously not something that's uh, that's super sustainable there. But uh, I think that's as good a time as any uh, Clint, unless you had anything on those big 12 games. All right, nope. boys. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and dive into it. So the Cats, five and three, looking to string together a third straight Big 12 win coming up this Saturday in Lawrence, Kansas, against the Kansas Jayhawks. And folks, go out there with your purple. Tickets are cheap. It's supposed to be sunny and 65 out there. Go watch the Cats and go watch them thump KU. Let's just get that out in front of everyone right now but uh let's go ahead and dive into knowing your enemy for the upcoming week KU of course coached by Lance Leipold in his first year in Lawrence and this was honestly one thing I, I wanted and I was very thankful that Oklahoma State did it I, I wasn't admittedly too concerned about KU stealing a win but that thought just kind of creeps into your head you didn't want KU to have any kind of carrot coming into this K-State game other than it just simply being the rivalry game. If they had somehow managed to pull that upset against Oklahoma State and you look at the record, all of a sudden, oh, we're two and six. 
If we went out, we might have a chance to make a bowl game again. Any any hope that can be squashed needed to be squashed. And big thanks to Mike Gundy for being the asshole that he is for hammering them and making sure that they have no uh, no hope of making the postseason and knocking them down to one and seven. Now zero and five in Big Twelve play. Leipold is the fifth coach in twelve years in Lawrence. Uh, that's and that's not even including uh, Clint Bowen's little interim stint after Weiss got fired. Um, Leipold comes over from Wisconsin Whitewater. That's a D3 program and kind of very, and I shouldn't say kind of, very much the similar track that Chris Kleiman had. He won six national titles uh, at Whitewater in eight seasons, was 109 and six overall at that program. Most recently, before coming to Lawrence, he was at Buffalo for six seasons, really did a good job of turning them around. They went to bowl games each of the last three years. He was up there and they ended up winning the Mac East division title twice in those final three seasons. So I guess on a macro level, I do feel like this is unquestionably the most competent just coach that Kansas has brought on in the last several seasons. Uh, obviously the, the proof will be in the pudding here, uh, but I did want to read. Uh, I, I always make a point to look at my, my Athlon Sports, because um, they always have these little excerpts from opposing coaches on teams. And this was what an opposing coach said about the University of Kansas. What can you say? This is the worst program in the Power Five, worst run, worst coached, all of it. They were poor talent-wise. Defensively, they couldn't run and had no team speed. Put them in space or get one-on-one, and you'd win the matchup. The linebackers were flat-out bad. Their team was basically two good running backs. Puka Williams was the only dude you had to account for. Puka Williams is not with the program anymore. Uh, I guess you could say they didn't do much with him, but the talent was so bad, I don't know how you scheme your way through that. Based on the way Les Miles was brought in and David Beatty was run off, I don't think a lot of coaches are going to trust anything this program sells them, even with Jeff Long being gone. When you look at how Kansas State has built itself and rebranded after Bill Snyder moved on, when you look at how good a coach can uh, how a good coach in Matt Campbell can transform Iowa State. You really have to wonder how Kansas ended up this bad. If those schools can find ways to be successful, recruit, and develop and win games in this league, why is it impossible with this program? So pretty harsh words there. Uh, this is an opposing coach saying this about the Jayhawks. If you had to guess, uh, it, it doesn't tell you. They do keep this anonymous. But if you had to guess, which coach would have said that about KU? Mike Gundy. Yep, I was just about to say Mike Gundy. He's been around this conference longer than anybody, and again, he's he's not going to mince words. Um, that's. <laughs> I mean, Lincoln Riley seems like he could be an asshole about that sort of thing too, but a, not a, not the a, way that Gundy could though. A asshole for sure. Not the split hairs, but are we certain it was a head coach? I, I do believe they they can't they have interviewed position coaches. But again, I don't know. This just seems like when you you have such a macro level, when you're talking about the athletic director, everything else, the way that they discussed all those items there, that that seems like a, a critique coming from a head coach. That's that's yeah. just my read on it. But Mike Gundy, I was going to say Alex, you took it right out of my mouth. I was going to say Mike Gundy. I, I frankly, I don't know who else in the conference. Maybe Gary Patterson. Um, R.I.P. Gary, we'll miss you, buddy. Um, <laughs> Colin uh, Klein. <laughs> uh, another 
another good guess there, Nutter. But but yeah, that so that is uh, opposing coach summation of the University of Kansas, and uh, they they are they still have a very very significant uphill uh, climb ahead of them as they get set to to move forward in, in the Leipold era. Let's talk a little bit about the Jayhawk offense. Uh, starting quarterback is the North Texas transfer, Jason Bean. He's completing 56% of his passes, only averaging uh, a conference low 6.9 per attempt. I will say this. The one thing that was kind of comical about the Les Miles era was that you really didn't know who was going to quarterback them week to week. Now, Bean did end up getting benched for his effort against Oklahoma State last Saturday. But I, I will commend Leipold in the sense that he's he's really stuck with his guns and gone with this guy for, for the duration of the season. So I, I do fully expect to see Bean out there as the QB uh, this coming Saturday. Uh, his six interceptions, though, are second most among Big 12 starting quarterbacks. Uh, but he is second on uh, the team in rushing with 386 yards and a couple of touchdowns. So that is definitely one threat that you're going to have to account for if you're uh, – the K-State defense this coming Saturday. Kwame Lassiter, who seems like he has been there forever and a day. He's the leading receiver and the primary target for uh, the aforementioned Bean. 30 receptions for 357. And then uh, Belton Gardner, previous, uh, who was the leading rusher for this team uh, last season. He entered the portal uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, the leading rusher for KU is Devin Neal. Not particularly great, only averaging 4.4 per carry. Uh, this is not a, a greatly dynamic offense, as one might assume. Uh, defensively, though, my God, this is where it gets bad. Um, and, and frankly, I, I, I put a fair amount of research into this, but honestly, I, I could have looked for more if I wanted to. Uh, last in the Big 12 in the following categories. Touchdowns allowed, 46 Scoring defense, 43.8 per game. Yards per play, 7.17 yards per game, 479.6. Rushing yards per game, 251. Rushing touchdowns allowed, 30. Rushing yards per carry, 5.99. I'll call it six. Pass efficiency defense, 170.2. Opposing quarterbacks are hitting 70% of their throws and 16 touchdowns to only three interceptions. Opponent third down conversion percentage, 55.3, and they've only forced 94 third downs this season. Opponent first downs per game, allowing 24. Last in expected uh, EPA, that's expected points added. I would recommend those of you not familiar with the advanced statistics to go check out um, Bill Connolly's numbers on that front. And then also last in defensive success rate, 57%. Uh, and what success rate is for those, again, uninitiated, uh, that is uh, plays are deemed successful if you gain, uh, if it's on first down, you gain five or more yards. If on second down, you gain 70% of the yardage needed for a first down. And if on third down, you've gained 100%, meaning I've gained the full 10 yards to move the stick. So Opponents are successful on 57% of the plays against this KU defense, which is led by safety Kenny Logan, who is third on the in the Big 12 in tackles with 66, and linebacker Gavin Potter, who has 53 stops and is 10th in the conference in tackles. So that is your opponent this week. Kansas Jayhawks, as outlined there, pretty porous across 
all major defensive categories. There, again, is a dearth of talent on both sides of the ball. This, this frankly, should be a game where K-State comes out and flexes its muscles and walks out of Lawrence with a fairly decisive victory. I know there is a reason why we play these games, and that's kind of why I wanted to steer into some of these broader questions. Um, and we'll start it off with one, just kind of an entertaining one. Uh, I know... KU football fans, they're, they're are, they are out there, but they typically go into hiding pretty quickly. Uh, but what is the KU football trope that you despise the most? Everything KU does completely disgusts me. They're hideous. <laughs> they're awful. That stupid cartoon bird is gross. I hate it. They're disgusting. They're the worst. All Everything. We should have ended with Clint. <laughs> I hate waving the wheat because they give us so much shit for being an ag school, but then they want to wave the wheat. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I'm uh I'm pretty damn tired of hearing about the all time series. Um I think uh what was it? It was said this week that if K State wins on Saturday, you will have to have been born uh in nineteen fifty to have been alive for more KU wins than K State wins. Like, that seems to be the last thing they can hang their hat on in this series. But they've got a BCS win. And the Orange thank, you, Bowl. thank you, Clint, for, for, for segueing there. Orange Bowl. That talking point has grown about as stale as a loaf of bread that you left out. Let's say, oh, in 2007. Um, yeah, th- this, if you were born that year, you can get your learner's permit, guys. Like, you, you got to move on. And again, that was five coaches ago, right? Yes. Yeah. Six, six, if you include interim Clint Bowen. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's been a long time since KU has done anything of note in, in this sport or frankly, in this, this series against Kansas state and the orange bowl talking point again, just really demonstrates and underscores the lack of knowledge of the sport not having any understanding of what the bowl alliance was beforehand or probably knowing what a new, what qualifies now as a new year six bowl k-state has two victories in new year in the new year six category if you're willing to include those in six appearances but uh, again let's let's not harp too much on um on our hawks here so um we'll let skylar and company do that this coming saturday so that that is my hated trope, the Orange Bowl talking point, and frankly, the further away we move from it, I, I'm I only get happier on that front. Now, uh, another question I wanted to pose to you guys: uh, What uh, in what year did you attend your first Sunflower Showdown? Two thousand seven. Oh, oh God, oof. I am. My sorry. goodness, man, that's a bad time. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh six was uh what our freshman year of college that's the first time i had season tickets okay I've never been to a kuk state game before uh 2007 yeah my first one was uh 2005 bill 1.0's last year it was a 12 to 3 just complete shit fest beginning to end jordy nelson scored the go-ahead touchdown right in front of me and that is about the only thing to write home about from that game other than it avenged a loss the year before in lawrence so Getting back in the win column against those guys felt pretty nice that year. Uh, would have been 2003. 
didn't start really going to a lot of games until 2002. So their trip back to Manhattan in 2003, I'll never forget their quarterback, Bill Whittemore. Yeah, that's right. Getting crushed all game long. Yeah, I uh, the first one I ever went to was in 02. That was the 64 to nothing game in Lawrence. Um, great one to initiate yourself, in, obviously. Um, and I got to give a shout out to, to my friends that I went with who all ended up going to and graduating from KU. They stuck it out through about midway through the fourth quarter, which, again, if, I, if the shoe was on the other foot, I would have said, we're bailing after halftime, like no questions asked. <laughs> so uh, to my boys, <laughs> appreciate you guys for letting me uh, enjoy that one and take that one in. Um, God, Alex, that is that is unfortunate, man. <laughs> 2007, that was not a good one. Uh, but this this game has taken on such a weird dynamic, really, o- over the years. And, and and that's kind of where I wanted to go to next. I I used to love so much just beating the shit out of them in Snyder 1.0 because it seemed like they at least did care some uh, at that stage because that this was if you think about it you know even those Terry Allen those Terry Allen teams were far more operational and functional than what we've seen here you know those were four and five win teams you know we we we've not seen anything from KU in this last decade plus that's really come close to that. Uh, and that's really kind of watered down and, and diminished how meaningful this game is. And, and I guess to that point, how, how has this game evolved? Like, ha, have you guys noticed a change in how you feel about this game before and after compared to where you were, you know, maybe 10, 20 years ago? Just the fact that it's lost all competitiveness. I mean, it doesn't feel as rewarding at the end. It just feels like, okay, you you did your job. Good job. You did the same thing that every other K-State team does. You beat the shit out of the worst team in the country. If there was anything less than this, I'd be completely disappointed. Whereas, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was, you know, an actual contest. And you'd feel a little bit better about getting the win, even if it was a close game. Yeah, I, uh, I'll be the first to admit, I don't think I probably have the complete vitriol hatred for KU that a lot of K-State fans do. Obviously, I want to beat the piss out of them every time we play them, but I could say that for any opponent we have. Um, but otherwise, like Clint said, I mean, yeah, it's it's fun to own that rivalry and own it as in as dominating fashion as we have. But a lot of that is just, a, you know, a byproduct of how bad KU has been for the last you know decade plus at this point. I mean, all the the only emotion I have about the KU game is just you better not lose. Like, just they are in-state rivals, so you want to beat them, but they're also the worst program in the country, so like you have to beat them. Like, there's no other option. You can't lose to them. You know, That's... if they were a competitive program, where you know, kind of back and forth every year, then then that's one thing. Where you know you can get off, you you can take joy and oh we've beaten you you know three out of four years or or two out of three or whatever but yeah you just can't lose this game that's honestly where it's turned to for me this is really just anxiety to varying degrees leading up to the game because there's always that little bit 
of doubt that creeps into your head. And it's it's the thought of losing to them now is so repulsing. Like it, it is so hard to fathom that because of what we've all just said that this program has not had a pulse since 2000 and I would say 2009, that team ended up going five and seven, but at least KU at that point, that was Mangino's final season in Lawrence, that team started five and Oh, they had a couple of close losses and it could have very easily been a bull team, but uh, that obviously didn't come to fruition, but neither here nor there. Um, I, I too, like you, Nutter, still enjoy winning the game, but I just don't know. It, 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 it's so weird how, how this just changed so drastically, and, and the fact that KU cares so little. And I, I know there are KU football fans out there. There are not many of them, but they are out there. But it, it's unfortunate that it just means so little to them, and it's so hard to take from our side any kind of joy in beating them other than, as we said, avoiding the embarrassment uh, and the potential of losing them. But I, I certainly hope the boys come out and, and are motivated for this one. And, and we've always, you know, Stan Weber always talks about how decided and uh, the roster imbalance is when you look at the number of Kansas kids on K-State's roster and comparing it to the number of Kansas kids on KU's roster. And to that point, that kind of leads into the final question. What What is the significance? And I think beyond recruiting, what is the significance of making it 13 in a row if you do take care of business this upcoming Saturday? You know, just kind of keeping them in their place. You know, one of these days, KU will eventually beat K-State. And you just got to hope and pray that it doesn't start a snowball effect. But, uh, you know, in the meantime... Just keeping them down, keeping all those Kansas kids wanting to come to K-State. I mean, even the outside of Kansas kids are starting to get into it. I don't know if you guys saw uh, Reggie Stubblefield's tweet <laughs> he had to take down. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's, it's going through the whole program and, you know, people all around the nation, if you're getting recruited by K-State and KU, I mean, you – you look at one team that's uh, relatively successful and you look at one team that's terrible and, you know, you're probably going to come to K-State. There probably is a little more significance uh, in the fact that they are, you know, rolling out a new coach again. Um, you always just want to make sure those roles stay defined, right? Like, don't let that give them any extra life. I remember I was admittedly pretty nervous in Lawrence a couple of years ago, Kleiman's first year, but also Les Miles' first year. Um, obviously that all proved to be for not, I mean, we ran up and down the field on them all day, but you know, you don't want to give them any life and you don't want to let a new coach, you know, give them that shot in the arm. So yeah, come out, smack them in the mouth and just make sure that it's status quo the rest of the way. Yeah, I don't, the only significance is just not losing to one of the worst teams in the country. So, you know, <clears throat> there's really no benefit at winning this game but there's definitely some harm in losing it. So We are all super excitable about this one. <laughs> uh, a win would obviously make it 13 in a row uh, for Kansas State. It would be three in a row for Chris Kleiman. And as Clint pointed out <laughs> when I, I posed the question in our group chat earlier this week, hey, who was the last coach besides Snyder to, to beat KU the first three times he faced him? Well... <laughs> hasn't happened with anybody other than Bill Snyder. So uh, obviously a nice feather in the cap for 
for Chris Kleiman if he is able to come in and, and take care of business. And this win would obviously make K-State Bowl eligible as well. So that's, and I think that's for, for Chris Kleiman's sake. And, and I, I do feel like K-State is not done winning this season, even if, even if and when they do pick up this win this coming Saturday. I, I feel like he needs this to, again, continue building or getting back in the good graces of fans. Again, so many people were, were particularly perturbed by, you know, the 0-3 start in Big 12 play. And I think a lot of those fans are coming back around now. And again, there there is no better way to endear yourself to the to the average K-Stater than going out and, and dropping, you know, 48 points on KU and, and walking out of Lawrence with a very decisive victory. So let's hope the boys come in with that razor sharp focus and are able to pick up a win at KU's Memorial Stadium this coming Saturday. Again, another call to arms. Tickets are cheap. Just go buy them wherever you can find them for the cheapest. You'll be able to sit wherever the hell you want. And again, sunny and 65. You could not ask for a better day to go out and watch K-State battle arch rival Kansas. So all that said, boys, let's go ahead and dive into our predictions for this one. Again, we have our three selections that we make the Marvin show me more Simmons selection for the player coach or unit. We want to show us more the Ben stone pounder Newman, no Google docs. I do not want to change stone pounder to two words. Get the hell out of my face with that. This selection goes to our player that we feel will have the largest impact on this game's outcome and then finally, our score predictions, that one pretty cut and dried. So let's go ahead and dive into the Marvin Simmons selections first. And Clint, who you got? You're muted, Clint. <laughs> Sorry about that. I was uh, busy messing with Alex's posts here on the Google Docs since he... <laughs> is quite immature and has to mess with mine anyways gonna go with one of my guys actually jaron mcpherson uh you know he has not had the year that i expected him to have uh you know he's still a leader of the defense back there he'll make a big play every now and again but i'd like to see him step up a little bit more make some really uh, game-changing type of plays and he's one of these kansas kids that uh, this game means a lot to him i'm sure and want to see him uh, show out this week and he did have a big interception. He had that really sick diving INT uh, in the game here in 2019. So let's, let's hope we can get a similar effort out of him this coming Saturday. Any turnovers will be greatly accepted, Hawks. Uh, Alex, who you got? Uh, I'm going to go with the <clears throat> interior slash right side of the offensive line. Uh, I think we talked about it earlier, but you know Cooper Beebe is super solid over on left tackle. Josh Rivas is pretty solid at um, left guard, but the the center, right guard, right tackle spots have been a little more inconsistent. Uh, so I just want to see them, you know, be consistent, open up some holes, push some Jayhawks around a little bit and get that running game going. Netter, who's your pick? Yeah, I'm going to go with running backs not named Deuce Vaughn. Um, there are precisely two teams in all of FBS that have been worse against the run uh, this entire season. If you're not going to get the running game going th this week, it ain't going to happen. Um, they're giving up 250 a pop, 
we get Joe Irvin back from from all from all accounts. Um, this has got to be the game that they that they turn in a solid performance. Deuce is going to get his, but it's going to have to come from elsewhere. It's it really needs to come from elsewhere this week too. And Alex updates the doc to include Jacardi again. I certainly hope we do see a a litany of K State running backs getting carries in this one. Uh, I I am going to go for my selection this week. Uh, defensive ends not named King Felix. Uh, I feel like the the effort obviously that he had against Texas Tech and getting the the shout out from Marcus Spears and whatnot. I feel like that put him on people's radars, but with Felix doing what he did against, (laughs) damn it, Alex, with Felix doing what he did against TCU and earning, and I know I haven't mentioned this yet, but he earned uh, National Defensive Player of the Week honors uh, from Walter Camp, Bronco Nagurski, and uh, the Bednarik Awards. Like, he, he was a monster with those four sacks, and I feel like KU is going to dedicate a whole lot of resources to trying to slow him down. So we will need to see guys like Nate Matlack, uh, you know, if it's Timmy Horn, whoever it is, wherever we're lining guys up, if we're doing anything, you know, creative defensively, I want to see other guys on that line making plays because I feel like the opportunities are going to be, there's going to be a lot of isolated one-on-ones for them. So you'll have some chance to make some plays. And again, this is not a particularly explosive KU offense. So want to see some guys on that defensive line show out. If King Felix gets seven sacks. I'm not going to bitch about anything. But again, I would like to see uh, particularly Nate Matlack, you know, want to see him continue to build off of the efforts that he's put out these past couple of Saturdays. So with that said, let's go ahead, shift over to our selection for the Stone Pounder. And let's go ahead and start with Alex. Who you got? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Jack Stanine, the Lawrence kid whose brother played for KU. I think the coaching staff likes to to give the ball to some Kansas kids during this game. And especially kids from Lawrence might, you know, get the nod. And I think he's going to go out there and, destroy some people on some blocks and maybe get a couple of carries and maybe throw a few to Keenan Garber while we're at it. Another Lawrence kid. Yeah. Would definitely love to see those guys have an opportunity to get in the end zone. Jax was so close on that little boot pass that he caught against Texas tech. So close to getting in there. And uh, we obviously saw Keenan Garber, (laughs) we obviously saw Keenan Garber with that big reception against Oklahoma. He's been, pretty quiet since uh, that point, but hopefully again, we, we see him get some action and I know we haven't talked about it, but uh, there were a couple of injuries sustained on the wide receiver front uh, with Malik and Phillip Brooks. So whether, or I, I, there's been no indication that those are going to be long-term, you know, or season ending type of, of, of injuries, but uh, this might be a good opportunity to get some younger guys, some meaningful game reps in a conference game. So we shall see. And uh, I certainly hope that Keenan Garber gets an opportunity to get some more snaps there at wide receiver. Now uh, let's jump back into it though. Sorry to to take away from your point there and sorry that I, I picked on you while, <laughs> while you were chewing food there, Alex, that's my bad. Uh, am I going to fix this in post? No, I am not. Justin, who you got? <laughs> my God, this is fucking out of control. Um, 
I am going to go with a guy who had a record completely dicked away from him by the NCAA, as if the man had any reason to be playing with a chip on his shoulder. Um, in Felix, uh, KU, for as bad as they've been in so many other facets, they've actually only allowed 10 sacks this year. I know part of that is a product of having a mobile quarterback, one of the more mobile ones K-State's seen in several weeks. Um, I do think he has the opportunity, though, to come in and, again, completely take a game over. So I think it could be easy to get fat and happy with all the attention he's gotten over the last couple of weeks. So would really like to see him keep his foot on the pedal and just continue to uh, ruin the lives of left tackles week in and week out. Love it. Love it. Clinton, who you got? Well, KU is going to watch that game film of uh, Felix Enudike Uzama and see, holy crap, we need to double, triple, quadruple team this guy. And it's going to leave somebody else open on the other end. That's why I'm choosing Nate Matlack to have a big day. Uh, definitely going to pick a Kansas kid here. And uh, having Nate uh, on the op- that opposite side, I think he's poised for a big day. Love that pick, Clint. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, and you guys kind of touched on it there a few moments ago with Bean being a particularly mobile quarterback. Again, leads Big 12 quarterbacks in rushing yards gain this season. Uh, I think Daniel Green is poised to have a big breakout game because he's going to be asked to do a lot roaming in the, in the open field, attempting to contain Bean and, and limit him in the run game. So that is my selection there. It was great to see him uh, pop off the way that he did. Uh, against um, against TCU, so certainly hoping that he can build off of that effort. And with all that said, let's go ahead and wrap things up with our score predictions. And let's see, does Al- is Alex finished chewing his food? Okay, yes, he is. Alex, go ahead and redeem yourself. Well, I'm sorry. What? Oh, score prediction. Sorry. <laughs> My kid like is falling down over here. <laughs> put in a Halloween bucket. Sorry. <laughs> um, my scoring prediction is the Kansas State Wildcats will defeat the Kansas Jayhawks, forty-five to seventeen. No. Like it necessary and that does cover the number that is 24 this week nutter what's your call yeah i'm going to go i believe uh i think they'll also cover i don't know that they'll do much more um i'm hoping it's because we are ground and pound all day and that just doesn't leave a lot of time to score any more points but i am going k-state 38 which would tie a season high ku 13 and clint Guys, we're playing the worst defense out there. You're really uh, lowballing the Cats here. Going 55-17, Kansas State Wildcats getting a rolling in the third quarter this game. Oh, we're allowed to score in the third quarter? That is my prediction. You know, they might be defensive and special teams points. I didn't say the offense was going to score. Yeah, that uh, again. People will find any reason to be pissed off uh, if, if points come this for K State in the third quarter. Take them. Don't complain about it. Uh, I I think K State will will win handily this coming Saturday. Uh, 
I, I see a group that continues to get more confidence. Uh, I know some people have have raised the point about whether we should be concerned how this team is psyche might feel knowing that coaches are, you know, they're getting coaches fired at other schools. And if, if that's somehow making the team feel like they're, you know, the effort against Kansas or that Kansas state is putting out there, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why people think that the fact that Kansas state is getting coaches fired uh, should in any way diminish what this team is doing. I think they're, they've strung together wins that, that were overdue and that they needed. And I think they're going to handle business this coming Saturday. Uh, my score here, I too, I'm going to go with a cover. I'm going to say cats 41 to 10. Again, uh, I know this is pretty close to the outcome we had a few years ago when uh, Skyler and Harry Trotter just ran all over these guys. I think even if K-State is, is perhaps a little shorthanded, uh, if, if Malik and or Phillip Brooks are out in the receiver core, I still think Kansas State uh, will will eclipse the 200-yard mark in, in the running game this coming Saturday and, and will pick up another victory and their third straight conference win and get to that magical six win mark to, to reach bowl eligibility. So that is my call cats 41 to 10 this coming Saturday. Certainly hoping again, K-State can continue to build off of the momentum here real quickly before we wrap things up with Clint's fantasy corner. I don't know. I have to think of something bit more creative than that, but we're going to stick with fantasy corner for right now. Uh, so here's your slate of big 12 games for uh, what is week 10 in the college football season? My God, where has the time gone? I cannot believe we're already into November here. Uh, but K-State and Kansas uh, will kick things off for your Big 12 Saturday, 11 o'clock on Fox Sports 1. Uh, Tim Brando is not doing this game, so rejoice, K-State fans. Uh, at 12.30 on ESPN, or Jesus, I'm in Pacific time and this is throwing me off. At 2.30 God's time, Oklahoma State on the road to take on West Virginia. The Cowboys laying three and a half in this one. And I know West Virginia has built a little bit of confidence here, putting it together a couple of wins. But this is right where, again, Mike Gundy, the asshole, comes in and just snatches one from me at home and <laughs> moves to eight and one. I think that's how this one's going to play out. Um, I, I think West Virginia uh, perhaps will. Uh, a little too high after that win over Iowa State. I, I think Oklahoma State is a, a, a cut above the clones in that regard, and I think Oklahoma State will find a way to move to eight and one. But I guess at the end of the day, wouldn't be shocked if WVU got it done. But I'm thinking Gundy goes in there and takes care of business. Also at 2:30, this one on Fox proper, 12th ranked Baylor taking on TCU, which again uh, am <laughs> amicably parted ways. Uh, with Gary Patterson after 20 plus seasons at the helm in Fort Worth. Uh, so TC three and five, one and four in big 12 play. Uh, that's going to be, be ugly, man. That, I, I was going to say, I think that's going to be a game that gets out of hand pretty, pretty early on. Uh, Baylor only six and a half point favorites though, in this contest. So perhaps odds makers thinking that Relieving Gary of his coaching duties perhaps rallies the troops. I, I, I do not know. I, I just I've seen too much out of Baylor. That defense is is too solid for me to, to think that they won't win by more than <laughs> they're not going to win by more than a touchdown. So uh, your final game of the Big 12 docket this week, 630 on Fox Sports one. Iowa State reeling, having dropped that one 
to West Virginia. Three and two in the Big 12 are the clones. They will be playing host to the Texas Longhorns, which have dropped three straight Big 12 games, looking to avoid a fourth straight L and falling to five and four on the season. Are Texas a big-time anxiety bull in Ames? Six-and-a-half-point favorites are the clones in that one. So that is your slate of Big 12 games for, again, week number 10 of the college football season. And put a bow on everything here, let's wrap things up with Clint's fantasy breakdown. And uh, Clint, we had uh, we did have one guy pretty much – wrecked everything for everybody this past Saturday. But yeah, go ahead and dive into the numbers for us. So here were the point totals for the teams. We had Justin, 23.5, myself, 47.6, Jeff, 49.1, and then Felix and UDK Uzama all by himself, 58 points. So yes, Alex's team actually absolutely wrecked everyone with a whopping total of 99.48 points by far the most in the season. Congratulations on that fantastic draft pick, Alex. Take a bow. You're unmuted. Talk. (laughs) Well, now he's on mute. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, when you sent the, uh, the group message out and I saw, oh, hit 99. That's fine. You know, it's not like I had a bad day with with Deuce and company, but man, God, King Felix just wrecking fools. Mm-hmm. So for a while, it seemed like Deuce was just by far going to outscore every single other player and make it uh, a little unfair for this league to have somebody so dominant. But Felix is getting closer and closer to overtaking him for that number one spot. So far, we have uh, Deuce Vaughn, number one, Felix, number two, then followed by Daniel Green, Cody Fletcher, McPherson, Knowles, Yeast, and then Skylar Thompson starting to get back in the swing of things since his injury. Uh, With uh, Jeff's embarrassing defeat, he drops out of first place. (laughs) I'm back at number one, and Alex takes sole possession of third place. Which means Justin, never mind. Well, Justin's kind of the punching bag of this league now, but uh, he did have that fourth overall pick, so he might be there at an unfair advantage. I'll give him that at least. He's, he's going to get first pick next year, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got to make sure we remember. <laughs> I think the biggest thing is making sure we remember that next year. Uh, Unfortunately, good. we're in a league, so, you know. A <laughs> <laughs> league. <laughs> Oh, man. Good stuff, guys. Good stuff. So that is the show for the week. We greatly appreciate all of you who have downloaded, streamed on whatever your preferred app is. As we always say, if you haven't liked, subscribed, or done whatever you need to do on whatever your preferred platform is, please go ahead and do so. Give us a rating and review. Follow us on Twitter at college underscore Kimball. And as we say, to wrap these up each and every week, Cats, man, if you know, you know.